Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. You know, I believe one of the most incredible passages in the entire scripture is found in John chapter 20, verse 21 through 23. If you have your scriptures, you might just turn there. But let me give you a little bit of setting, a little background. It is the evening of the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm, I'm, the whole atmosphere is just unsettled because there's rumor that Jesus has been resurrected, but no one knows for sure what's going on. And so in the, in the room, in the setting there in John 20, is Jesus' disciples, men and women that are gathered together. The doors are locked because they're fearful of the Jewish officials that they might come after them and do to them what they did to Jesus, their leader. And so the atmosphere, I want you to just get a feel of what it must have been like, the emotion in the room. I mean, just think about this, just the, the fear that was in the room. First of all, I think sadness just the sadness that Jesus was dead. But I think there was a lot of anxiety. What, what, what do we do now? What do we do next? There wasn't a lot of peace in that room. I think there was a whole lot of just uncertainty. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? I, th- I think that there, there was a need for direction, a need for clarity of direction, a need that's unmistakable. Where do we go from here? You're talking about a group that needed a relaunch. Can I tell you, that? that's, a seri- that's, that's not all that unlike the setting we find ourselves in. Maybe you're in that exact situation. You, you really do. You feel like, God, I just need some direction for my life. I need clarity for my life. And so it's, it's within that setting that Jesus comes on the scene. So let's take a look at this passage in uh, John 20, uh, verses 21 through 23, if we could put that up there. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, in those three verses, there's a lot to unpack of what Jesus says. Jesus walks into the room, and the first thing he says to them is, is relax, chill out. It's really going to be okay. Don't, you don't have to strive through this. Can you, can you imagine Jesus actually walks into a, through locked doors? He just walks into the room. The first thing he says is peace because I imagine that made them even more unsettled. And then he says to them, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Can I tell you, Jesus from the very beginning says, here's your direction. I'm gonna give you a clear direction. I'm gonna give you um, purpose for your life. That word send there or sent is uh, apostolkin. Apostolkin, it's the same Greek word from which we get apostle, are apostolic. It means a sent one. A sent one with a purpose. A sent one with a purpose. And so the next thing he says to them, can I tell you the purpose of a sent one, an apostle, 
is to bring the kingdom of one territory into another territory with a purpose to colonize that territory for the kingdom. In other words, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus said, this is what your assignment is. You are going to do this, but you're not going to be able to do it on your own. So he breathes the Holy Spirit and he says, listen, I want you to realize it's going to take the power of God. It's going to take the very life of God in you to carry out this mission. And then he says, this is what your mission is. This is what your message is. If you would put that verse back up there one more time. He says, uh, go to verse 23. He says this, he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins will be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, then their sins are not forgiven. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, because of what happened just the other day, three days ago on the cross, you, your sins were forgiven. And now the spirit, my spirit has come to live in you and you are authorized to forgive other people's sin. You bring this good news of forgiveness of what happened on the cross. And if you go and you tell people and they say, yes, guess what happens? They have the same forgiveness that you have. They have the same life mission that you have. But if you don't do that, they'll never understand the forgiveness that is available to them. So Jesus says, our mission is very simple, to share the good news that we're a forgiven people because of what Jesus has done. Now, I want to say this, uh, an apostolic people... If we could have that slide. Here's a definition of what an apostolic people is. The title of my message today is Being an Apostolic People. What does that look like? Can I say, if I had to say, what is the engine of Sozo? What's the thing that propels Sozo forward? I would say it's this word right here. God has called us to be an apostolic people, a people that bring the kingdom of God to earth, a people that change culture. Now look at this definition. Here's what an apostolic person is. Here's what a group of apostolic people look like. They live as sent ones with the purpose of transforming culture, every aspect of culture, and creating a Jesus movement. That's worth writing down. If you're a note taker, an apostolic people are people that live as sent ones with the purpose of transforming every aspect of culture and creating a Jesus movement. How many of you uh, remember the Jesus people movement in the late 60s and early 70s? Anybody here? Got such a young crowd here, okay? You're afraid to raise your hand and admit it. But it was, a, it was a period of time where Jesus became the norm. On the streets, people were getting saved. Hippies were getting saved. All kinds of people were coming to Christ. And the body of Christ looked incredibly diverse. It was because there was an apostolic movement that was going forward. Now, before we can be an apostolic people, we have to learn to think apostolically, okay? And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, look, first thing you need to understand is you need to think, send, not stay. Everybody say send, send. not stay, okay? Go, not stay. Now, that was really hard for them. We're gonna find out. The second thing he's saying is you need to think Holy Spirit 
within you, not Holy Spirit in a place you go to. Are you with me? We got to change our way of thinking. You don't have to come to a meeting on Sunday here at Hill Country Church where Sozo meets in order to find God, okay? Can I tell you, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you've received his, his, his uh, forgiveness and received his Holy Spirit, all you have to do is, Holy Spirit, what do I do now? I want to fellowship with you now. What are you saying to me? Help me understand where your heart is. So it's learning to think, not think Holy Spirit within instead of Holy Spirit being a place you go to. The third thing he says here is that we need to learn to think grace, forgiveness, and spirit life instead of law, rules, and regulations. See, mo most people, if given the choice, will say, can you just give me a kind of a blueprint? Can you just give me a rule book? Can you just give me a guide of what to do? And Jesus is saying, look, that's not the way this thing works. I'm about a people that are on the move, that are moving, that are extending, that are advancing the kingdom of God. I'm after a people that hear me. I'm after a people that wanna just be with me. I'm after a people that know who they are, that they're absolutely forgiven, that they absolutely have new life, that they're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is giving this message to this group in the upper room. And ironically, the person who really would get this message and would take it forward and really propel this message of being an apostolic people is not in the room. Now, what you think about that? Apostolic thinkers, apostolic people, culture changers, people who really want to say, I'm all in, God. Many of them are not in this room. See, many of us have grown up and we are church thinkers. You know what I mean? We, we think, learn the Bible, do what it says, be a good sheep, don't get in a lot of trouble, come to church regularly. It's not what Jesus just said there. Jesus said, this is radical. I want you to be the agents that will change the world. And so that one guy that wasn't there, you know what he was doing? He was plotting on how to destroy the Jesus movement. He was making a plan of how to do that. See, the one person who was not in the room that day was a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. You remember Saul of Tarsus? Saul thought he was doing a good thing. He was a religious man. He would have been a devout attender of the synagogue. He would have been a brilliant theologian. He, he was, all of these things. But a funny thing happened to Saul on his way to destroy this movement. What happened? He had an encounter with the living Jesus. And can I tell you, his life would never be the same. It would never be the same. Jesus talks to him. He says, Saul, Saul, what, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? Saul spends three days blinded, waiting at Straight Street, getting straightened out. A guy named Ananias comes, prays for him. The scales fall off his eyes. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets a prophetic word that you're gonna give your life as a sent one to all the non-Jewish community. Now you'll, you'll be before kings, you'll be before princes, you'll be before the Jewish people, but you're gonna go after people that nobody else will go for. Hello? See, 
you, the, tr the truth is most of us wouldn't be here today if somebody hadn't taken the time to go after us, to love us, to show us a different way, to make it clear that there's a, there's a new and better way that this new covenant, this kingdom of God is in our midst and Jesus has done it. He's finished the work for us, but you have to repent and turn to him. Well, can I tell you, Paul, Saul, he repented. Repentance just means to change your way of thinking. And can I tell you, Saul changed his way of thinking absolutely. Everything. I'm sure Saul's friends thought, my goodness, what has happened to Saul? He has gone off the deep end. Hello, any of you ever have that experience? Can I tell you, we all need to jump off the deep end. You know what Jack Taylor says? He said one time, he said, here's the deal. You better dive in the deep end because you'll get hurt if you try to dive in the shallow end, <laughs> right? See, that's what many of us are trying to do. We're about to break our neck because we're always dabbling around in the waiting pool thinking, well, God's gonna show up and do something. And God says, no, no, no. It's only when you get in the deep end. It's only when you say, God, I want you to do what only you can do, not what I can do for you. I want you to do what only you can do through me. And then the world will go, whoa, I know Steve couldn't do that. Jesus did that through Steve because Jesus lives and see. See, that's the new covenant. That is what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about this apostolic movement. And so Saul begins to uh, think differently. Can I, can I tell you, if we're gonna think apostolically we have got to become treasure hunters. Hello? Guess what? You're a treasure. And somebody hunted you down and found the treasure and called out the gold in you. That's what a treasure hunter does. And that's what, what I'm calling you to this morning is to be treasure hunters, okay? In, in the bottom line, I'm saying, listen, God wants us to go on mission as a family, a family on mission that are treasure hunters, that are seeking out the gold in people, calling it out. I was, I was praying with Adam just a second ago. We were praying for those students that he teaches, praying for the gold. God, reveal to these people, first and foremost, they are a treasure because of what Jesus has done in them and because of the unique experiences in their lives that the enemy has meant to utterly destroy them, utterly destroy us, it qualifies us to bear the kingdom in a powerful way because we realize our redemption. You know what I'm saying? And so being treasure hunters who see the gold in people, Saul got this. And he was absolutely changed. He wasn't 50% changed or 75%. He was 100% changed. And he saw in a new way through a whole different lens. I don't know about you, but for me, as I read the letters of Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, I began to read uh, kind of through the lens with which Paul wrote. Can I tell you, Paul didn't write like most of us read the Bible in the 21st century. See, we're, we're all nice little neat in rows and stuff here in the West, and we all have our Bibles, and they're all nice and neat and dusty because we don't read them all that much. But, but we read them, and we think, how can I do what the Bible says? How can I be a good sheep? And how can I do it? Can I tell you, that's, if, if you're reading Paul's letters like that, you're going to miss the point. Paul's writing with an apostolic mission to activate people to share the goodness of Jesus everywhere they go, to extend the kingdom of God, advance the kingdom of God. And so his whole mindset is, 
how do we activate this? How do we do be doers of the word, not hearers only? And so, so you know, 50, or, uh, 30 years ago, I would have read the Bible very differently than I do today. Today, when I read the Bible, I get excited because I crawl into the skin of the people in the Bible and I think about their adventures. And then I say, God, what does that look like today? What are you doing around me? How can I be a part of that today? And that's my challenge to you. What is God saying to you today? Where is he at work around you that he wants you to join him in what he is already doing? That is apostolic living. So what, let's see if we can paint the big picture. In, Saul comes to Jesus and he wants to use his life for Jesus. He wants to be used in his life for Jesus. But here's the problem. All of the apostles, the guys that hung out with Jesus, the 12, now there's 11 of them. They've got a new guy in, so there's 12 again. And where, where are they at? They're in Jerusalem, right? So the Jerusalem model of church life after the first few years looks like this. It's very static. It's very unchanging. It's very, hey, let's reach all the Jewish people and tell them all about Jesus now. And, you know, that's going to be a hard way. And how can we do this and all that? But see, here's the problem. That very group who had been in the upper room where Jesus came in and met them on the resurrection Sunday had heard him say, here's your commission. Here's your mission that as the same way the Father sent me from heaven to earth, I'm sending you to the world with the good news that they're free, that they're forgiven, that they can have the Spirit of God alive in their life. They don't have to keep going through all their religious rituals, and it's for the entire world. But you know what? They didn't hear that. And so you've got Peter, James, and John, and the guys there, the sent ones, the apostles, you know, later Jesus would tell them uh, 40 days after that, he would say, listen, um, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Guess what? That's being sent. And so, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Boy, I want more, I want more, I want more. Yeah, come, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit. Right, they're doing that. Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, they get the more. But what happens? They stay. See, again, you got to learn to think apostolically. You need to think go instead of stay, sin instead of stay. And so what happens there is in Jerusalem, you've got the apostles that are staying in Jerusalem, telling about great stories about Jesus, but they're still essentially doing the same things they always did. They're going to the temple. They're, they're hanging out. They're doing all these things. So it's, it's still about temple and Torah and tradition, right? It's, it's about the house of God, the word of God, and the way of God. Well, when you, when you accept Jesus's mandate that we just read in John 20, he's saying, no, no, it's, it's not about any of those things anymore. It, it's about saying, okay, God, I'm ready to, as a spirit indwell message of forgiveness, uh, child of yours to go and share that goodness everywhere I go. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to go on the mission field, but it means that everybody will walk out these doors somewhere and you carry the kingdom with you. You carry the king with you. And so it starts right here in Jerusalem and it just goes wherever you go. And so Saul, on the other hand, see, there, most of the experience that the apostles had had with God was before the cross, right? 
Saul's experience with Jesus was after the cross and it was radical. And Saul left all of the before the cross stuff behind. Saul, uh, for three years, the first three years of his life, he's in Damascus where he gets saved and he goes back and forth from there to um, Arabia and he's just trying it out. He's getting beat up, he's getting scourged, he's having all kind of wonderful times, just trying to figure out how to share the goodness of God. And so finally, after three years, he's there in uh, Damascus and um, the, the people there get so fed up with him, the Jews, that they, try, they plot to kill him. And so they put him in a basket, the believers put him in a basket and they send him out the wall and he goes away. Well, he ends up in Jerusalem. I want you to think about this. It's been three years since he's given his life to Jesus, has not been to the headquarters. He's just been living radically for the kingdom of God. And so when he gets there, to Jerusalem, word about him had gotten out. Number one, people knew that he was the guy who was sent to go and kill Christians, persecute them, bring them back to have them jailed and whatnot. And so nobody trusted him. The Jews didn't trust him. They're trying to kill him there in Damascus. But the Christians didn't trust him in, in uh, Jerusalem either. So you may know the story. Barnabas takes him in, loves him. Barnabas the encourager, and he introduces him to the apostles. And he stays there for 15 days. He meets all the apostles. That's interesting because you, you, you might catch some kind of undertone through the lines. Saul, or Paul now, or he's still, still Saul. Saul is using language like this sprinkled throughout. He talks about the super apostles. Have you ever seen that in scripture? Now, now there's humor in the scripture because Saul essentially saying is an apostle is a sent one. They're people who go. And he says, the super apostles, the ones who have been with Jesus, are the ones who are staying. He said, they're not really even apostles unless they are willing to share the good news that God has everywhere they go. Can I tell you, you can stay in San Marcos all your life and still be apostolic. You can live locally wherever you go and share Jesus wherever you go. But Paul is saying, you know, these guys here, I don't know if they, he said, I've, I've had some pretty good time with Jesus. I don't know that I have to have receive everything from headquarters in Jerusalem. He ends up, he's only there 15 days, and what happens? The Greek-speaking Jews try to kill him. So the apostles there in Jerusalem essentially bench him. They send him to Tarsus, his hometown, and they say, listen, you just go and you take a break here for 10 years. <laughs> he ends up being there 10 years. How many of you have ever been benched by leadership? Okay, it was for his own good. He was about to be killed. Okay, let's just be fair about this. But it, 10 years is a long, long slice of life. While he's there, he learns how to relate in his own home culture. I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of shame the enemy tried to put on him. But, but I'm, I'm amazed how Paul just breaks through that. And while he is there, he learns the culture of the Gentiles. He learns how to relate to people. And I mean, he is constantly getting beat up, literally beat up, uh, scourged with 39 lashes, the whole deal. Eventually, one day, here's a knock on his door and he goes to the door and you know who's standing there? 
Go to old Barnabas. He said, hey, listen, man, there's a revival going on in Antioch, and guess what? You will be perfect for this, Saul. I mean, it's wild Gentile revival. So takes him back to Antioch, and here's where we see the first model of comparison I want you to get. Jerusalem was very static and, and was protective and was a secure environment, but Antioch understood an apostolic vision of equipping and releasing people. Antioch becomes a hub. Antioch becomes a place where people are coming and going constantly. They're, they're, they're coming, being equipped, being sent out locally and abroad. It becomes a place where that actually sends Barnabas and Saul out as their missionaries. They go on they go on one trip, but Saul goes on three journeys to just share the goodness of God. And so while all this is occurring, Antioch becomes a, a really a new breed of Jesus followers. It becomes an apostolic breed. I mean, they, they've got all kinds of uh, idolatry and pagan stuff. And in that, Saul is just going for it. They become an apostolic hub, both sending and receiving leaders. Show, show the um, slide of what an apostolic hub is. Here's what an apostolic hub is. An apostolic hub is bigger than, a training, bigger than just training and sending leaders. It's about creating a Jesus movement. Somebody say Jesus movement. It's about changing culture. It's about changing culture to the ends of the earth, locally and to the ends of the earth. And so this hub begins to happen. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, Paul, on his third missionary journey, ends up in Ephesus. And Ephesus becomes kind of the epicenter of revival in that region. Saul stays there, or now Paul, stays there for three years, longer than any other place he stays. He's there in uh, Ephesus, and Ephesus becomes a hub, an apostolic hub. Now, here's what happens. While he is there in Ephesus for three years, he begins, he learns this strategy of finding people of peace, people who are receptive, people who are influential, people who will open the way. Can I tell you who you need to look for in your life? People that are the Holy Spirit's already working in, but don't judge by what they look like on their face and by their, I would have been one of those guys, that guy ain't interested in anything, but I was interested. I just needed somebody to ask me. I just needed somebody to care about me. Somebody to ask me some questions to help me get there. And so that's what uh, Paul takes a, a strategy that Jesus had given his disciples. Just look for people of peace. And they began to open doors for him. Saul on these three trips, he just meets tons of people. And all along the way, he finds kind of this band of brothers that really get the apostolic message. That they, they said, yes, we'll do anything. And so uh, some of these guys, I've mentioned their names before, guys like Gaius and Timothy and Sopater and Aristarchus and Segundus and, and Trophimus. Aren't those great names? Who knows who those guys are, right? Can I tell you who those guys are? They're the guys who turn the world upside down. Can I tell you, the people that you're going to meet, 
that are people of peace, they could be very unassuming people that you would go, I don't know. They are the very ones that God uses to change the world. I mean, have you looked at the ragtag bunch that Jesus gathered around himself? It's crazy. Look, look, look at your neighbor on each side and say, we have hope. We have hope. See, I'm the least likely guy in the world to be up here giving this message. But God's grace is sufficient, right? And he says, I'm just looking for somebody who will say, yes, I'll go for it. Yes, I believe you. Yes, I trust you. Yes, I believe, John 20, that you've, you, you've called me to go forth. And so as he's going, the next hub begins there in Ephesus. For two years at the school of Tyrannus, the Tyrannus Hall, Saul or Paul is teaching these men. All these crazy names like, you know, Aristarchus, and if you're looking for children's names, these are all good names that you could use. You know, little Trophimus, that's a good name, you know. <laughs> and all of these guys, and they're, they're most all of these guys are Greek, Gentile, non-Jewish people that Paul has met and is discipling all along the way. And these guys become world changers. So Paul gets arrested and Paul is imprisoned in Rome. While he's in Rome, he writes the letter to the Ephesians. How many of you read Ephesians? Can I tell you, there's not a better book in the Bible if you want to understand New Testament, New Covenant discipleship. I mean, it's, it's Paul's magnum, magnum opus. He writes it because it's a blueprint of how you live this life out. And so guess, guess who he sends this to? It's a circular letter that he sends to Ephesus and that Ephesian region and all of these band of brothers that had been with him. He's in prison now in Rome, but all of them began to read this letter and they began to proliferate the principles of what it looks like to live in union with Christ, what it looks like to live out of our identity in Christ, what it looks like to understand the mysteries of Christ, what it looks like to live in authority and power and be an apostolic people. Well, I've got good news for you. See, relaunch, this whole relaunch initiative, it's built upon those principles of Ephesians. It's built upon the idea that Paul and the early church used to spawn an apostolic movement that changed their world. Can I tell you? God wants to start an apostolic hub right here in our midst that will change our culture, change our world. It's okay to clap. It's okay. But see, I think that's what the Lord really wants to do. So in conclusion, if you want to commit to being a part of an apostolic people, a family on mission, if you want to rethink the way you see scripture, you read scripture, you live scripture, to be a person who lives it on mission, if you want to relaunch into your life in God's purposes, in your life for his kingdom, I want you just to stand to your feet. If, just stand to your feet. If you say, yeah, I, I would like to be an apostolic person. And I'd like for us just to make a declaration together. Can we do that? Or just a short declaration. You can just repeat after me. I trust my life 
to you, Lord Jesus. I trust your ways and your ability to reveal them to me. Today, I begin the process of embracing your kingdom purposes for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.